The power to provide is what I've been tasked with. We've been in a series um, started a few weeks ago by Pastor um, Jim as we were, he was kind of reflecting on the idea from the prophetic conference and some of the things that God has been saying prophetically to the house. Uh, there was a, a watermark, so to speak, that had been left. And, and without wanting to lose that sense, he began to teach us um, about what goes into the soil as we contend for the supernatural. Um, Pastor Duke followed that up with an excellent message. And then we moved into the portion of the series where we talk about contending for the power to. And Pastor Paul brilliantly spoke about the power to save and how we absolutely need Christ involved in the process of seeing anyone come to Christ, um, come to the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then he also began to explain um, last week um, the power to just escape me just that quickly. Um, uh, what's, the, what, what's the word? This begins with the R. <laughs> power to reconcile. Yeah, reconcili- <laughs> reconciliation. I'm sorry, I forgot that. Um, <laughs> so um, Pastor Paul um, taught us about the importance of getting clothed and, and understanding that this process isn't on our own, that it's not something that we can just do in our own strength. Um, because what ends up happening is we just fall back into old tendencies. And so there's a power that's been made available to us if we will contend for it, that we can walk in supernatural reconciliation. And so what I'm looking at tonight or what we are going to look at tonight is this power to provide, this contending for the power to provide. And one of the things that I really I recognize really early is that probably by, by product of you being here or um, if you're tuning in, that we don't have an extremely difficult time believing that God can provide for us, but will he provide becomes the question. And so what I want to do this evening is look at um, a couple of passages, um, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and towards the end we'll look at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I believe what we'll see here is the training process or just a glimpse into the training process that Christ used on the disciples to move them from a place of kind of doubting, will God provide in any and every situation, to actually being able to flow in it. And I think we can see an example of that with Peter and John at the, at the beautiful gate healing the lame man. So I want to take a look at those two things. So if you, if you do have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6, um, verses 1 through 14 is what we'll start off at. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. 
And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Now, one thing that happens when you have a popular story or a popular um, example from the Bible, in, in particular with the, the feeding of the 5,000, because it's found in all four Gospels and, and it's a popular children's story. Many of you already kind of feel really familiar with this story. And, and so there's maybe some assumptions or you may begin to harmonize all four of what the Gospels are saying. And you may not catch what John was trying to do when he was laying out this sign of which if you look at um, John chapter 20, which was the signs that you find in the book of John were given so that we would believe that Jesus was the Messiah or is the Christ or the Son of God. It was a purpose behind it. And if we're not careful, what happens is we may lose the purpose that John has in particular in sharing this particular story. So I want us to kind of get away from what we remember from our childhood or from just hearing the story over and over and just kind of let's, let's, let's journey back to this time, to this Passover picnic that was about to take place. And let's see ourselves kind of in their situation. Now, what we have found from, from some of the other um, gospels is that there have been some other things that have been going on that was leading up to this point. In particular, John the Baptist had been beheaded and so Jesus, hearing about his cousin, hearing about the, his forerunner um, losing his life, wanted to get away into some solitude. We also find out from Luke that the, that the disciples were coming back from going out and ministering, and they wanted to debrief with Jesus. And so these men were in a situation where they were going with, their, with, their, um, with, with, the, with, this, with our Savior, um, their Savior, our Savior, um, going across um, the Sea of Galilee, to get away, to, to seek some solitude. And so we see that right there in, in, in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. They all went together. But there was something that had been taking place because it was the Passover, because there were many people from all around the region who had come to, to um, celebrate this feast, that all of those who are traditionally Jewish or walked in that type of faith, they were going to be there um, at this moment. And they had been hearing the rumors of the miracle worker. In fact, they had seen some of this stuff, even maybe throughout the ministry as Jesus had been going around the previous year. Because in John, we find out that this is actually the second Passover in which he highlights and kind of gives us markers to where we are in Jesus's ministry. And so there was a popularity that Jesus had. Um, that was drawing other people. And so there was a, a segment of that population who just wanted to, frankly, get healed. They heard that he was able to heal, and so they wanted to get healed. And so in seeing and catching him and, and seeing him going off with his disciples, they decide, let me go after him. Maybe he'll heal me too. And then you have those who are probably in the crowd also just because of the novelty of it. Man, I've never seen a miracle. I would love the opportunity to see a miracle. Let me go along with it. So really quickly, what was supposed to be a trip in solitude, which was supposed to help the men get away, get some rest, Jesus to, to get alone with, with the Father and to be able to pray and maybe even mourn um, his forerunner, his cousin, turned into something else. And Jesus, 
from what, what John is showing us here, Jesus uses this opportunity. He kind of seizes this opportunity to put his disciples to the test. I mean, look at what he says in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. It was a test. God had orchestrated some things. He had allowed some things to take place because he was putting his disciples to the test, or he, at least he seized this opportunity. Jesus wanted to know. You, 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 you've seen some miracles, um, Peter. You, you've seen some things, John, Philip, and Andrew. You, I mean, you've seen the wine, turn, the water turned into wine. You've seen the power to provide healing to the, to the lepers. And you've seen the great works that I have done. Now it's time to see where you at. Where is your faith? You know, when, when you get a pop quiz or a, a test, to me, I, it, it certainly is a test, but it feels like a pop quiz. I, when I was in college, I had a, a professor. Anytime any student would leave out of the classroom, it was time for a pop quiz. It, I mean, it was, it was really kind of frustrating because, like, if you hadn't been paying attention in class, because he was kind of boring, this was, this was a science class, and so, like, it just wasn't one of those things that I was really excited about. As soon as... I went to a black school, so as soon as Leroy would have left, as soon as, as soon as he left, there was a pop quiz coming, and he wanted to know had you been paying attention for the last few days, and he was going to put you to the test. Jesus here for his disciples are putting them to the test. Have you learned anything over the year, over this last year of ministry, of seeing? firsthand eyewitness accounts of the power of God to provide for his people. Have you learned anything? And what, if you've learned anything, what is it that you have learned? And I, I think that's really similar for us. I mean, how many times when an unfortunate situation arises, maybe a medical situation, maybe something for those who work in the government, maybe it's a government shutdown or a sequester or something like that. Maybe you lose your job through no fault of your own. Do you believe that God may be putting you to the test? I mean, he's allowed us to do some tremendous thing. For those who are members here and who, who had the opportunity to give, the very building that we're in, we were able to see the, the power of God to provide for us a facility with no debt. And that he allowed us all to participate in. Even Pastor Brett a couple of weeks ago talked about the things that along the way that he built on the inside of us. How do you respond when God allows the test to come into your life? This is what I believe that Jesus was doing when he says that he was testing them because he understood what he wanted to do. He wanted to see what their response would be. So listen carefully to his question. He says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus wanted to assess where did they look to when problems of provision arose? Because this was totally unexpected. They did not expect all of these people to be there. It just wasn't in the plans. Their plan was we're getting away, we're going to have a nice meal, and we're going to spend some time with our teacher. And so this pop quiz has come because all of these people have come out and it's, man, we can't get away. We can't get away from the crowd. But now Jesus wants them to, to look at this sea of people and he wants them to answer. He wants Philip in particular, but 
from in my mind, it's like the family feud kind of situation where like they're all there and, 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 and the question is kind of posed to, to the first one in line and Peter, I mean, Philip happened to be there, but I, I feel like they're all there. So let's look at their response, which I believe was really a natural response. Verse seven says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Can, can you, you hear the other disciples? Good answer! Good answer! Good answer! Can't believe Jesus would pose this kind of question to us. I mean, it's a sea of people. I mean, conservative numbers would say that there was close to 20,000 people out there. 5,000 men, Matthew mentions that there was women and children as well. There was potentially 20,000 people or more out there. So they're looking at a sea of people. And Jesus says, where are we to go to buy them some food? So the, the other disciples, they were all in concert. And they were like, man, 200 denarii, seven months worth of wages, that's not enough. Just, I mean, they barely would get anything to eat. The crowd's so big. That's a good answer. Andrew comment about the loaves and, and the fish and it not being sufficient for such a great cloud, crowd. That was a good answer. The problem was, though, Jesus said, where? So they gave an answer to a question in a different way. They said how they would go about doing it. And they, they recognized that how they would do it wouldn't be sufficient enough to meet the need. But that was never Jesus' question. Jesus wanted to know where they would go to buy food. Where would they go to make the transaction to meet the need at hand? That's the test that God puts us in. When that unexpected event takes place and your money don't make ends meet, when you don't have um, the resources to be able to, to fit the need of a loved one, when there's something urgent that is going on and, and you don't know what to do, how do you begin to try to solve the problem? Do you turn to a natural means, a natural response? Do you look kind of horizontally for your answer? Is that, is that the way that we respond? And I, I think it's really important for us to take a kind of inward look, allow the Holy Spirit to help you to understand how you respond to those situations when you are being put to the test. Because this test was something that needs to be passed or this test was needed to be passed by the disciples. And though their response was one that didn't match what Jesus wanted, it was, some, it was a teachable moment for them to assess where they were and for them to continue their growth pattern so that they could carry out the duties of a disciple. Aren't you too a disciple for those who believe? Aren't we too called to something greater than ourselves to win the city? And there's tests that God has placed in our path that he is trying to get us somewhere where our contention for the power of provision to come lay bare for the city of D.C., for the DMV area. For those, for our family members, for the mission trips that we go on. There's something far greater than ourselves that is at stake. So our contention is so important for us to fulfill the mission that God has for us. Because that mission is so much greater. 
I mean, it has eternal value. It's not just our own personal resources. But when God puts you to the test with your own personal resources, it helps him to understand, and it it certainly shows you how you're going to respond when somebody else's need is laid before you. Where are you going to turn? Are you going to turn to the credit card first and foremost? Are you looking to get the loan? Are you calling one of your best friends or family members so that they can give you advice? These in and in of themselves aren't bad things. I don't think what, what um, Philip said was bad. I mean, actually, it was true. He, he did some really good math, no calculator, quickly, that fast. He was able to come up with an answer. Andrew, he showed some initiative. He went out. Did, who, who has some food here? Let me, okay, all right. Hey, bro, you got a personal-sized meal? Okay, we can take that. I don't, I don't know what we can do with it, but since you're willing to share it, thank you. We'll go ahead and um, take that to the master. I mean, they show some initiative. Other, other um, renditions, or not renditions, but other accounts in the other Gospels, they say they even were proactive in going to Jesus and saying that, hey, man, it's late. It's late in the evening. We're in a desolate place. We should send them home so they could go get something to eat. So they, they, they wanted to solve the, the problem. But where they looked for the answer wasn't in the proper place. It's where we look for the solutions in our lives, for the solution of the test that Jesus was really trying to put on display for them. So what was the, 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 the proper response? What's the proper way um, for us to, to turn and, and to look. And I think Jesus demonstrates the proper response. And then I think as um, the loving father that God is, um, or that G- what Jesus does is so loving in that he allows the disciples to participate in this miracle, in seeing direct hand this provision made for this great crowd. And I think it helped to transform their minds. And it wasn't immediately. I mean, we, we find in other sections in, in Luke where, where, where after feeding the 4,000, they're, they're, they're on a boat and Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's talking about their leadership and where they could take them. But the, the guys, the disciples, they're in the back of the boat. They're like, hey, is he mad because we don't have no bread? So it's not an immediate thing, but this is kind of like a snapshot into the discipleship process. And I think if we're able to see what God has has given to us to be able to study, then we can look at our own lives and see how God is, is working in us, trying to get us into a space where we are more productive for the king. Because there's a great call on us to do something that we can never do on our own or in our own strength. And we have to take that serious. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. What Jesus does is he, he demonstrates something that just really goes beyond belief. I mean, 
It's, it's not a sleight of hand. It, it, God did not do something. Like he didn't have a stash of food in a, in a cave and the disciples ran off and they grabbed it and they, they took it to the 5,000 people. I mean, Jesus had a small meal. Don't think loaves like at a grocery store. It's like little biscuits, little pancakes. Five of them. Two fish. Sardines. Not like not big old fish. You know, not something you take a picture with and smile like this and you know maybe do a selfie or something. No. It's just sardines, man. Small. Enough for a young lad to eat. And Jesus grabs it. And he demonstrates what, where they should have looked, where they should have gone for the solution by blessing it, praying over it, demonstrating that we want the kingdom to be involved in this situation because our resources aren't enough here in the natural. And we need, no, we need something super added to this natural to provide for the needs of the people. And he blesses the food. In other accounts, he begins to distribute it, but he, he hands it to the disciples. And so you can imagine, Peter, he, he goes up and he grabs some, some fish. And I don't know if it's multiplying right there in front of them, if it's, if it's just, I don't know how it's happening. I mean, they don't describe it, but as he's taking it to this group of 50 people, it shown enough changes into such a situation where everybody can eat good, not just a little taste. Everyone can eat good. You know, like, um, buckle your belt, I'm satisfied, you know, I'm ready to recline and relax type of eating was going on this Passover picnic day. The multiplication, them seeing it, them having a hand in it, them walking and being a part of it had something to do with a transformation that was taking place in their lives. And I think it's the same thing with us. I mean, I, can, I, I think the example of this building is tremendous because of the amount of time that it took. But there was something about being a part of this process of seeing this church or this particular portion of the church being built de debt free. And you knew that you had a hand to play in it. And that, that God, for some of us, when we, we said, God, this is all I have and, and, and we were willing to give, we saw God multiply things for us. That it should lead to more and more confidence, more and more trust in God. See, I think one of the problems that we have when it comes to providing for others, when, we, when we're in a situation where we see someone who, who, who has a need and we quickly will think, you know, and I'm sorry, I don't have it. I think the problem is, is that we're not as quick as we should be to observe what Proverbs 3 says. That we should trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. Because he's going to make our path straight if we were willing to do that. Now, does that mean he's going to give to each and every person everything that they want? No, I'm not saying that at all. But if our natural inclination is to turn to what we have first and foremost, we can negate the possibility of God adding some powerful provision to someone's life. See, the, the, the point of this particular miracle, as far as John was concerned, was to put on display the deity of Christ. How often do we have the opportunity to show the deity of Christ 
if we just immediately look to our own natural resources whenever a problem of provision is presented to us. We have to turn to the king and give him opportunity to to open someone's mind up to something that maybe they hadn't held on to. Because as you look further into the chapter, you find that that Jesus really used that, that miracle as an opportunity to tell those who were in the crowd that he was the bread from heaven. That their salvation, their their eternal hunger will only be satisfied with him and their acceptance of him. So what did this change do? What did this this kind of demonstration of of the power of provision through Jesus to these potentially 20,000 people? What did that do? And I think Peter is a great example of what what really change could take place. So if you, um, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. Um, actually, you don't need to turn there. Um, I think it's in Luke chapter 5, Jesus, um, he, he asks Peter to, um, excuse me, it's, um, yeah, it's Luke 5. Luke 5, um, Jesus asks Peter to um, lend him his boat so that he can go and he can preach. And then after using it, after finishing, he tells um, Peter, hey, cast out into the deep and throw your nets out. You're going to catch. You're going to get a catch. And his response was, all right, preacher, man, I, I know you, you, you know the word and everything, but I'm a fisherman. And, and you know, I, I know what I'm doing out here is nothing to be caught out there. I was out there all night. I toiled all night. Me and my, me and my boys, my crew, we were, we were able to um, spend some time there, and it's, it's just not happening. But nevertheless, because you said, I'll go ahead and do it. How does he go from this place of just blatant disbelief? Like, he didn't even hide it at all. He just, he was very upfront and, and, and ended up needing to repent to this account that we have in Acts 3. Verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. What made a man move from his own natural ability to to observe and to see something like, hey, I spent time out in the sea. I didn't catch anything. That's how it is. To now looking at his utter lack, silver and gold I don't have. That he had utmost confidence that God would meet his need. His experience is like the feeding of the 5,000. His experience is like building a church building debt-free, that we have to remember, we have to, 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 to utilize um, 
the things that we can learn about God, we, they become logs for us of, of worship to God because it helps to, to, to deeply, deeply, deeply get it down that God will provide, that he will make a way. It helps to break up that hard pen of the soul, of the soul, as Pastor Duke talked about, that, that hard space that sometimes it's just hard to get something in so it can produce more fruit. Our worship, our consistently remembering of the benefits of God and what he has done for us helps set us in a place where when we see a new obstacle, we know that the king will provide. That we know that there is a power beyond our own that we can call on to fix the situation, to, 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 to bring the solution that is needed in the lives of people that we don't even know. I want to c- close out with, a, with, with an example of a, a God that I, I like to, to look at. But I, I think it's a good example, kind of a 20, 20th century example of how one um, looks to the kingdom for, for provision for an issue that's happening kind of real-time, street level. And the man's name is George Washington Carver. Many of you have heard of him. Um, early 1900s, um, scientist, um, tremendous thing. He, 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 he has a lot of inventions, a lot of things that are credited to his name. And there's one situation in particular that has always intrigued me, and it's what what was behind him in his discovery of some of the inventions that came about from the peanut that he's so famously known for. And as the story goes is that there was a, um, a set of farmers that with, within the economy down around Tuskegee um, University um, that George Washington Carver had been telling them on a consistent basis, um, hey, you move from cotton crops and, and go into peanut crops. And so, to make a long story short, eventually they, they listen to him. They, they take, his, take his advice, and they begin to use peanuts, and they begin to farm them, and, and, and that was the crops that they had. The problem was is that it impacted the economy. And because now we have an oversupply of peanuts and not enough demand for peanuts, there are some angry farmers out there pretty angry farmers because the reality is you know, I use my farming as an ability to, to provide for my family. I need an answer. And so the, the, the president of the university, Booker T. Washington, he's, he's getting these complaints. He's saying, um, the people are saying, look, we listen to your scientists, um, Mr. Carver, and hey, if you guys don't fix this, we're going to have a big problem. And so he goes to George Washington Carver. And if you're not familiar with him, I think he's somebody great to study. Um, the reality is he was a believer, a real strong believer. And he had a very rough um, background, um, but he spent a lot of time with God. And so his answer, similar to what Daniel did when, when the king wanted to, to have an answer to a dream, he threatened to murder all of the wise men in his, his area. Similar to his response, George Washington Carver grabs his Bible, his notepad, and the peanut, and he goes into a lab. He spends some time there, and he's, as a professor, his students hadn't seen him because he's determined to, to figure out the solution to the problem. And finally, one of his students runs into him, and he says, hey, professor, where you been? And he says, we have been in the lab. Man, there's some great discoveries that I've found. 
We, what are you talking about? Oh, me and God. Because of his compassionate heart for the people, for the economic situation, not his own well-being, but the plight of the farmers in the deep south there, white, black, it didn't matter. His deep compassion to, to help serve them, to freely give what God was freely given to him. 200 inventions came from the, the peanut. There's, there are things that just will just kind of boggle your mind that because of the things that he learned that he learned from his time with God that we have been continued to been able to, to build on top of that technology and that, that information. Man, there is a supernatural provision that God has made available and has given us access to that looks different. It may not always be the multiplication of fish. It may not be the healing of someone's body. It could be intellectual property. Maybe God gives you an invention that fixes a problem. But if we never turn in that direction, if we don't understand where we are to go to get provision, we fall short of what God is trying to do. And maybe at times we can stumble into it, but why do that when we have access? Hebrews tells us that we can freely come before the throne of grace. And there is an empowerment to do the things that he has called us to do. And his provision isn't just for us. It's not just for us as his children. There is provision that he has made available to those who don't know him yet that he is trying to call in for himself. He's reconciling to himself. And we have the privilege of participating in that. And so as we think about what God has done, as we think about the miracles that have taken place that he exposes us to in the Bible, as you think about your own life, and the trials and the tests that he's brought you through, that he's consistently shown himself to be faithful and a provider. It's time for us to study those things through our worship, study that through our praise of God, and begin to learn the lesson so that when the next test comes, that we know where to buy the food so that all may eat. Amen?